This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, Austin Life. I'm so excited that I get to be here and share with you all from uh, the Word of God, coming all the way from Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, a couple shout-outs before I, I jump in. Shout-out to, to Pastor Corey, Pastor Mike, for uh, being uh, willing and open to allow me to, to come up here and in their pulpit and, and share from, from God's Word. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, shout out to you guys. Uh, I'm so excited that you guys have decided to, to plant your lives here in Austin to do the work of God, to share the truth of Jesus in your, in your neighborhood, in your jobs, uh, and just be used by God here in this city. Uh, but then number three, shout out to the weather, right? I thought that I was gonna come and this was gonna be like uh, over 100 degrees and it wasn't. Thankfully, I was surprised, right? I left Raleigh, it was raining, it was like 45 degrees and I got here and the high today is a nice 85. That's what's up, that's what's up because I thought your boy was gonna melt uh, initially. The last time I was here in Texas, it was 103 degrees. That's disgusting. But, you know, Corey knew how I felt about the weather, and he invited me when it wasn't so hot. So uh, praise God for him. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 12. That is where we are going to be today. Um, And if you are new, this is your first time, you guys are in the midst of a series right now. We're talking about the the whole story of God. We're seeing the plan of redemption take place, that we are broken individuals, right? And God desired for us to not stay in that broken spot, and he's stepping in into the story and redeeming us back to himself. And I'm excited that I have an opportunity to speak about this plan of redemption with you all today. So hopefully you've already there, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3, and it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Awesome family, let us pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we have an opportunity to look at your word, that we see this plan of redemption, that we see, number one, that we were created to be image bearers, but our, our, our father, our mother, Adam and Eve, they, they sin, Father, and it's in that sin that we have sin as well. We're broken, and by God's grace, you did not want to leave us in this state of brokenness. And so, Father, you stepped in, you stepped in, and we ultimately see that come to fruition through Jesus Christ, and so we praise you. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would speak through me, that your Holy Spirit will have his way in the hearts of your people. God, if there are people here in this room today who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, that today would be the day that they do that. We trust and believe that you are good and you can do far more above than what we ask or imagine, even in this moment. So we pray that that would be the case. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen, amen. Listen, Austin Life, before we jump in, right, I love feedback, okay? What I mean by that is when I say something that is good, you can say amen, all right? If I say something that makes you feel good, you can nod, right? I need some of that, that affirmation, okay? Now, I know that uh, I'm a chocolate guy, right? So in coming, growing up in a, in a chocolate church, that's how we interacted with each other. So there's not a lot of chocolate, and that's okay. 
Y'all can make me feel comfortable though here in this room, all right? Now I know some of you guys, the way that you respond is by taking notes, right? When you see something good, you're like, mm, and you're like, go right down in it. I will take that as you guys are trekking with me in the text. But let's, let's be family here. Let's chat a little bit, okay? So if you guys, uh, like I said, we're in Genesis 12. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys remember this movie or not, uh, but I'm a, a huge Will Smith fan, and he came out with a movie about 10 or 11 years ago now called I Am Legend, right? Now, if you've never seen that movie, you, oh, you, guys, you guys have seen that movie, right? Awesome. All right, I was about to say, because if you haven't seen that movie, I'm about to ruin it for you, all right? Now, if you, uh, you want to see it, you can go plug your ears up, but this is where we are, all right? So Will Smith, he played a character named Robert Neville, and Robert Neville is living in this apoc- apocalyptic life where there are these zombies or vampires or whatever you want to call them, and they're just wreaking havoc on, on the society, on the world, because of a disease that they have, right? Now, there's this one part in the movie, this one scene, when Robert Neville is in his lab, this glass lab, and, uh, you know, the, the, the girl and the guy, they're in there with him, and the, the zombies break into his house, right? And they're banging on the glass. They're trying to get to him. They're trying to eat him or kill him or whatever the case may be. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs saying, I can fix this. I can, I can save you. You have to trust me. I can save you. And every time, every single time I see this movie, I'm reminded of our predicament in life how we also have a a disease, how we ourselves are broken, how we are in this spot where we need to be saved. Now, if I can bring you up to speed in this this passage here in in Genesis chapter 12, usually when we talk about the idea of redemption, when we talk about God moving, we always start here in Genesis 12, but it actually begins in Genesis chapter 11. You see, as you look at Genesis chapter 11 at the very beginning, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. And what that story symbolizes is that man is saying that I can get to God on the way that I want to get to God, on on my terms. And so they build this tower to make a a name for themselves, to, to say that we're good, that we're great, that we are this great people. And so as punishment, God steps down and he separates the nations. He, he confuses them in such a way where they have to speak a different language and so on and so forth. And so all these individuals get together based off it, they can understand, and then they go about their way. Now, here's the thing. At the end of Genesis chapter 11, we see in the midst of all this, there's one family line that belongs to God, the descendants of Shem. And this is one of the sons of, of Noah. But at the end of chapter 11, we find even this godly line in a place of idolatry. And we see that play out in, in, uh, in a couple different ways. Number one, we see that they're a product of the culture. And what I mean by that is, is Abram, the guy who we just read about, his, his father's name is, is Terah, which means moon. Now in Ur, where these guys were here in the moment, they, they worshipped the moon. Then on top of that, Terah is a, is a Hebrew metaphor for the word the end. To make matters worse... Abram and his wife Sarai were were barren, which means that they couldn't have any more children. So we see all throughout Genesis 11, we we see this only godly family on earth has succumbed to idolatry, and now they aren't having any more kids. And it truly does seem like the end. And if we have to stop and take into consideration, then when we look around, it seems somewhat familiar, right? Right? It looks very much like Genesis chapter 11. You don't have to look far to see that we are still separate in a lot of things here in our world. Even our beloved country, we are still ravaged by by racism and classism and, and sexism. And unfortunately, even inside the church, 
that we're still separate. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. once was famously said that, that at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. And here's the thing that's what's so, what's so sad about that. It has nothing to do with legislation or law anymore. Everything to do with our pride and, and preferences and our sin. We see that we too are people who serve idols. Now many of you are probably thinking, well I don't have a, a little idol in my closet that I bow down to. But the reality is we still worship idols. When we stop and think about it, we put things above God all the time. Our jobs, our, our finances, our family, our security, our, our kids, our time, our possessions, relationships, love, sex, and the list goes on and on and on. Now again, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when we put them above the relationship that we have with God, they become a God to us. We, like the people of Genesis chapter 11, find ourselves without hope. And we, like them, oftentimes try to fix ourselves. But here's the thing, we can't even if we tried. We look at this story and it seems that oftentimes that we put the period at the end of the sentence. But Austin Life, can I tell you today that we don't need to put a period where God has put a comma. You see, it's here right in the midst of the separation of the nations, in the midst of idolatry and, and forgetfulness of who God is, that God makes a promise to one man that he, God, is going to create a family from his, for himself from all people. The people who have been separated as judgment, the people who have forgotten all about God, the people who serve idols more than him, out of these people would become his people. And what I pray that we see today is that God does not desire to leave us in a state of brokenness. Very similar to, to Robert Neville in, in I Am Legend, God is calling out to us saying that I can save you. Let me save you. And here's the thing, you may think that he may have forgotten you, but this story will prove otherwise. What we see is that God makes a promise to create a family for himself from all people. And how does he do that? Well, the, the promise hinged on one man's obedience that ultimately leads to another man's obedience that leads to our salvation and our new family. Also, life, here's the thing. I believe that God in his grace, by, uh, by allowing this truth from his word to be preached today, that it will shape the trajectory of this church in such a way for years to come that God will be glorified, that the nations will be blessed that people will come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Now I have one observation for us today from this text, and it leaves us with two takeaways that I pray you will seek to apply immediately. And this observation is this, that obedience leads to salvation that can only come from God. Obedience leads to salvation that can only come from God, and if this is true, then our application that we'll look at later on is that we need to believe it and we need to live it out. Let's look at that first observation, if you will. Now, later on in the life of, 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 of Abram, we see that his name is changed to Abraham, right? And so for the sake of the story, I'm going to continue to say Abraham and, and Sarah because God is good and your boy is forgetful, okay? So let me just go ahead and say that. Now, looking again at the beginning of verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham to go. And what we see from the beginning of chapter 12 is that God calls Abraham, and this call would cost him everything that he knew. Now this is major here for Abraham, right? Abraham was called by God to give up all of his comforts, his, his country, 
his land, his family, everything that made him him, he was called to give it up. He was called to, to do that and trust God completely without any idea of knowing if the things God had for him would come to fruition or not. Now that's intense. If, if you're like me, I try to put myself in, in Abraham's shoes, right? If, if God called me right now to, to go and to, to do something, well, I'd be able to do it. If he told me to, to leave everything that I knew, my, my, my culture, my people, my, my family, would I be able to do that? If, if you're like me, I can think of some family members I would easily want to walk away from, right? We all got that, fam, that, that family uh, that's a crazy person, right? Is that just me? All right. Some of you guys can't say nothing because you're probably sitting next to that crazy person right now. But here's the thing, if we're, if we're honest, in all seriousness, if, if God was to call us to do this, a lot of times we'd have to answer no in our lives. It's hard for us to give up personal preferences and what makes us comfortable for the sake of gospel, for the gospel. So the question I have for you, where in your life right now are you not willing to give up what's comfortable for the sake of God's plan for redemption? Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Maybe you don't do it because it's, it's awkward. You got that, that weird tension between you and your friend. You don't want to ruin that friendship. Maybe it's staying in an area of the country and not being willing to uproot yourself to see people come to know Jesus. Now, by God's grace, many of you in this, in this room right now, you did that. And praise God for it. But maybe it's not being willing to, to give up that relationship that you know does not bring glory and honor to God. Here's the thing, family. If we know Jesus, we must be willing to lay down our wants, our desires, and our comforts for the sake of the gospel. Whatever it is for you right now, the question that we all have to ask ourselves in the, in the midst of our uncomfortable situations and seasons is, is it worth it? And what we see from this story, Abraham shows us that it is worth it. And if he has done it, so should we. Now, looking again at verses 2 and 3, God called Abraham and told him that if he was willing to be uncomfortable, that he was willing to give up what was familiar to him and be set apart by God, if he was willing to count the loss that God promised to make these things happen in and through him. Now, the particulars of this promise are the multiplication of Abraham's progeny. We see this, this great nation, right? We see the, the magnificence of a, of a reputation, talking about his, his name. He's going to a, a, have a great name. And then we see the blessing of God's protection. What we see is God's presence there and in order to bless others, which was God's purpose. And here's what's so interesting about these things. God told him that he would get a land. And what I find so interesting, right, in that culture, it was easy to inherit things from, from your parents, from your dad. And so he's telling him to, to leave his land, but in reality, he's probably already going to get land from his dad, right? But in here in this moment, God's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got better land for you. Trust me in that. What's also interesting about this, I don't know if I, if I mentioned this already. Well, no, I know that I did. But his promises to him to make him a great nation, but him and his wife were barren. They couldn't have any kids. And add on top of that, I didn't go into the full context here, but these people were old at that time. And I'm talking about like super old, right? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, when it's talking about Abraham and Sarah, you want to know what it says about Sarah? She was old, <laughs> right? They were collecting social security checks right here. And then God said, nah, in that you're still, you're going to have kids coming your way. They're like, what? Are you serious? But here's the thing. What God is showing them here in this moment was that he was God enough to speak into and over their circumstances. See, God here in this moment 
was going to have to work a miracle. Now, don't miss this here. God is the one who's going to be doing the work. The question is, can he be trusted? God shows us that he can be. See, in Genesis 15, you don't have to turn there. But God sets apart Abraham, lays out these promises, and then Abraham is in this period of waiting. Now in Genesis 15, Abraham questions God on whether or not God is going to come through on these promises. And what we see is that God does not look at Abraham and say, you know, you sorry sucker, why don't you just trust me? No. What we see is that God condescends to him. He doesn't patronize him in any way. He condescends to Abraham's weakness by showing his faithfulness. And he does it in a way that Abraham would understand. You see, when covenants were, were made in the, in the uh, uh, ancient Near East times, the parties of the covenant, they would cut up animals and lay them aside, right? They would put one part here and one part here, and they would do this line here, and all you had was the blood and the entrails all between. And when you were making a covenant, the two parties would walk through that together. And in that, they were saying, if I were to break this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And what we see specifically here, they were saying, I want this destruction to happen. What, what makes this covenant with Abraham so incredible in Genesis 15 is that the only person who walks through the animals is God himself. And you know where Abraham was during this? In verse 12 of Genesis 15, we see that homeboy was asleep. He was asleep. When God was doing the work, he was taking a nap. Right in the middle of REM sleep, God alone walks through the animals and vows to receive the covenant curse if he does not keep his promises to Abraham. Guys, this is a sign that the Lord cannot and will not fail. For if he did, he would be changed or destroyed. And we know that that is impossible. God made the covenant with Abraham and did it based on his own grace and his own power, clearly not on Abraham's works. God was gracious to Abraham in giving him these promises. But catch this, Abraham had to trust God to be faithful. He had to trust in faith that these promises would be fulfilled and that what God was doing, what he said he would do, would happen. And what we see in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham does believe God. And it says that it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's awesome. But then a couple of chapters later, we see Abraham's unbelief come up. Even after God showed him that he would go for, to great lengths for Abraham and Sarah, he was willing to, to do these things for him, they still doubt it. And we see again in a couple chapters after this that Abraham tries to take it upon himself, impregnates his servants, all for the sake of having a kid. He attempts to do it his own way. He wants the promises of God on his own terms. But here's the thing, guys, that is impossible because the promises of God are predicated on the surrender to God. God says, no, Abraham, it's not gonna happen that way. You can't do it on your own terms. It has to happen my way because there's, I don't want it to be any confusion whatsoever of who is in charge here. Your job is to simply trust me. Look at the, again at the beginning of verse one in chapter 12. He had one job to obey God in the commandment, to go, to go. Now for most of us, this is hard to do. Completely trusting God with, with everything, right? 
We, we say that we, we want to go to God as a, a last option a lot of times in our, in our lives. We want to, to do, do, do and make sure to, that we can maybe earn God's favor or make sure that the I's are dotted or the T's are crossed, especially when it's not happening according to our plans. But check this out. Abraham doesn't actually receive that son of promise until chapter 25 when Isaac was born. Now, we can read that in a span of, of 20 or 30 minutes or so, but in actuality, it was 25 years until God came through with his promise of a child. That's big. But here's the point in that. Even when you don't see God in your circumstances, it doesn't mean that he isn't working in the midst of your circumstances, no matter how long it takes. It's hard to wait on God or to trust in God, or believe that God is good, and we end up doing something that is only going to cause regret. But even in that, what we do see in this story, and what I hope is an encouragement for all of us in this room, is that God is faithful to stick true to his promises, even when we still screw up. In this story, we see that he does all of this for the sake of our salvation. See, God developed this plan for redemption and to begin to see it play out, Abraham had to trust God to do the work. It starts with obedience but sustains because God says that he's going to do it. Can I ask you a question, Austin Life? Where in your life right now are you not trusting the promises of God? Where are you wrestling with trusting God? In the midst of your trials when he says that he'll never leave you or forsake you, do you trust and believe that to be true? When he says that he won't put more in you than you can bear, do you trust and believe that to be true? When he says that in the midst of your temptation, that he's gonna provide a way of, of escape for you, do you trust and believe that to be true in your life? Do you wait for his deliverance? When he tells you to put me first, put God first in your life, do you do it? When he tells you to wait during a time of, of being alone, that he is better than any fulfillment that a husband or a wife or a child or, or a job or anything else could ever provide for you, do you trust that? Can I remind you of something today, family, that he is a God worth trusting in? You see, God made a promise to him, and that promise was that it was going to be through Abraham that God would begin to execute his plan to create this new family for himself. And, I, and I'm, I wonder why in the world would he go through the trouble of calling out this man from his country? Why would he send him? Why did he make these promises to him? Why did he tell him that he would create a name and a nation and blessings to come from him? Why set him apart even when he knew that Abraham was still not going to do what he told him to do fully? Because Abraham would lead to another who would actually lead to come to obey perfectly for Abraham and Sarah, and for me, and for you, and for the rest of the world. Pastor Corey spoke about this already, but starting in Genesis chapter 3, when we witnessed the fall of Adam and Eve, when it was revealed to them that the penalty of their sin would be death, even in that moment, he promised that there was going to be a day when a Savior would come, that he would restore the broken relationship. And we see now from Abraham's story that this Savior would come through his offspring. And so I love it when it says at the end of verse 3, when it says, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is speaking about one person who would be able to make that happen completely. And Galatians 3.16 tells us that the true offspring of Abraham is Jesus. 
You see, Jesus was the one to bring blessings to all the families of the earth. And that is what Abraham was looking forward to when God called him out. In fact, we know that to be true because of what Jesus says in in John chapter 8, that Abraham rejoiced in his coming. Specifically in verse 56, it says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced and he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Guys, not only does this speak to Abraham's eventual trust in God, but it also speaks to the ability of Jesus to bring about those promises all those years ago. Here in this moment, Jesus is letting those individuals know that he is God in the flesh. That Jesus demonstrates that he is God by taking the divine name and claiming it as his own. See, in the Old Testament, when God revealed himself, he would reveal himself in using the name I am. And here in this moment, Jesus takes that name to himself. Jesus is not simply saying that I'm a man that God adopted. He is saying that he is himself divine. Now, why is that so important for us in this room today? Because it takes the divine to save us from ourselves. Going back to Genesis chapter 3 and 11, you see disobedience, you, you see murder, you see men trying to get their way to, to God on their own terms. You see the separation of the nations and, and God, and, and you see from the beginning is saying, in order to, to, for you to be saved, I have to come to you. Not only do I have to come to you, I have to be the one to save you because you can't do it. And so Jesus, through the line of Abraham, generation after generation after generation, comes on the scene clothed in our flesh and lives the perfect life of obedience to everything that God requires that you and I and Abraham and Sarah and everyone else could never, ever do. Here's the thing. He goes on to to die the death that we deserve for dying, for being rebellious and sinful in all of our ways. And in his death, he completely satisfied the wrath of God for the punishment of our sins, past, present, and future. Then they buried him in a grave. Then he rose from the dead, crushing death, crushing the serpent that you guys talked about a couple weeks ago, and showing himself to be God over our sin, over our circumstances, and over our brokenness so that we could know life and know it abundantly. How was that made possible? In the same way that God called Abraham out of his pagan ways is the same way that he seeks to save us, by grace. Guys, Abraham did nothing to deserve the special honor of being called out of his pagan ways. He did nothing to deserve God opening up the womb of his wife. He did nothing to deserve the promises of God. Again, Abraham didn't even hold up his, hold up his end of the covenant. God had to do everything for him. Likewise, we do not deserve to, to, for Jesus looking death in, in the face and saying that I will take the punishment for them. We don't deserve that. The price of our redemption was costly, and Jesus came and said, I will pay the price for them with my life. Why, why does he do this? So that this new family could be made from all the nations that were scattered all the way in Genesis chapter 11. That these individuals would come back to God and bring glory and honor to his name for being God. That we would see our need for a savior and worship him for who he is. And with every ounce of our being, we can then praise God that he has made a way so that you and I could know life 
and know it abundantly. So what is left for you and I to do? See, like Abraham, we need to trust and believe. In Genesis 15, again, it states that because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Here are two takeaways that I want us to see this morning. The first thing, we need to trust and believe. We need to trust and believe. Guys, we are broken sinners. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know what mess you got going on in your life. But here's the thing. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are broken individuals. We are sinners. Scripture in multiple places let us know that there is none among us that is righteous. And because God requires righteousness to be in his presence, we will miss the mark 100% of the time. And for that reason, God, in his grace, sent Jesus to die for you and for me and the nation so that if we believe that he has done everything necessary to save us, and by placing our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, that we will be counted as righteous based completely on his work and not our own. That's the moment where you can shout hallelujah. You see, when we believe that, we stand forgiven. We stand righteous. We stand holy. We stand secure. We stand as a new people. We stand as a new family marked not by rule keeping or rule following, but marked by the grace of the gospel, Jesus in our place. Can I ask you something today? Have you trusted that to be true in your life? Do you believe that to be true? If not, you need to make that happen today. At the end of this service, myself, Pastor Corey, Pastor Mike, we would love to speak with you and pray with you about this. Trust and believe. That is all you need to do to be accepted into this new family of God. But here's the thing. When you become a part of this family of God, we must live like a family of God. Which is my second takeaway for us today. Live like the family of God. Now this is what I mean by that. Okay, thinking back to the nations being separated in Genesis chapter 11, through Jesus, he is calling us, the nations, back together for the sake of his glory to be a blessing to others. Guys, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, should not be monolithic. What I mean by that is that it should not be an all-white church here or an all-black church over there or a Latino church over there, or an Asian church over there. It should be filled with all people from all ethnic groups who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God means to have this redeemed people from every ethnic group. Therefore, none should be despised, but all should be welcomed in because of Jesus Christ. Now here is the challenge for all of us in doing that. Going back to Abram having to lay down his preferences, step away from what was comfortable to him, this is what it means for us, that we must lay down our preferences and what is comfortable to us for the sake of the gospel, then so be it. So be it. But hear this, it has to be happening from all sides. It means that my white brothers and sisters have to lay down some of their power for the sake of those that don't look like them, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. It means that our minority brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to walk alongside our, our white brothers and sisters when they do and say hurtful things in the midst of all of this. And trust me, 
As a guy who's been walking and working in in multi-ethnic churches for, for over 10 years now, it will happen. But here's the thing. In doing this, there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable moments. A lot. But for the sake of the gospel, we have to be uncomfortable so that everybody can be comfortable. At the summit where I serve, we say this often when we talk about these issues. We need to become uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And here's the thing, in your own personal life right now, it starts at the dinner table. It starts in your living room. It starts with your relationships. It starts with what you're reading and and watching and engaging in. It starts with an awareness of where we are personally and where we need to be. Guys, you can look out in our culture and see that we are still separated and divided, but what would it look like for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ? So an unbelieving world, when they see that, they have to question that something's different. They have to be curious as to what's going on. And you know what our commonality is? Jesus Christ. That is when we get an opportunity to point to his goodness and mercy in our lives. Before flying out here, I I took a a poll of the city. The city of Austin is a little over 30% non-white. What would it look like for this church here to reflect the community in which is it a part of? What would it look like for this church here to be about the nations? What would it look like for this church to be an advocate for the immigrant? What would it look like to, for this church to speak out against forms of, of racism and classism and sexism and, and racist economic practices? And here's the thing. These issues are not additions to the word of God or additions to the gospel. It's the opposite. What we see is that this is the very thrust of the word of God. It was in the narrative of the story from the very beginning. It was part of the gospel of Jesus Christ to draw all nations, all ethnicities, Jew, Greek, slave, free, men, women, to the cross, to see their need for Jesus, to be adopted into the family of God. It is interwoven from the beginning, starting starting in Genesis chapter 12, going to Psalm 22, looking to Isaiah 9. You see Jesus talking about it in in the the book of John when he says, I've got sheep that you don't know of. We see all of Paul's letters address ethnic and racial and economic breakdowns, and we finally see it come to full fruition, full circle in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 21, when all the nations are sitting around around the throne of God, and I can see it now. God is looking out at all his children, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, and he is thinking that they are all precious in my sight, and they are precious because of everything that Jesus has done for them. This is the good news of the gospel. It begins with Jesus. It begins with this one man being called out in the midst of judgment and separation and idolatry. Austin Life, we need to celebrate the goodness of God. We need to celebrate that he decided to create this new family that we have an opportunity to be a part of. And not only be a part of, but be able to go out, to be sent out, to share the truth of Jesus and welcome in all people. I love that. I love that. You know, at the end of I Am Legend, going back to that, Robert Neville, he does find a cure. And it's, if you haven't seen the movie again, it's, it's amazing where the cure is found. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. As we think about the cure for our brokenness, 
The fact that we have an opportunity to be redeemed by God. It's through the blood of Jesus. We have safety. We have security. We have salvation. All because of what Jesus did. Reminded of my disease so that I could be whole again. Just like in the movie. Jesus called out to me. And he said, let me save you. Let me save you. I can fix you. And you know what? By his grace, he did. I want you guys to close your eyes. I want us to have a moment where we can reflect on this truth. I don't know where all of you guys are in your walk of faith. If you have rested in the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you, that you can leave from here and know that you can accept that truth and be found righteous based on who he is and what he's done for you. Again, I don't know where you are, but maybe for some of you, you need to believe that truth today. I want you to wrestle with that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, are these things real? Are these things true? And if so, ask him to help your unbelief in it. And the beauty of that is that he will. He will. For some of you in this room, it's wrestling with this idea, how can I be the family of God? How can I proactively go out and share the truth of Jesus, maybe with those that don't look like me? What are the relationships that I have that I can capitalize on, not for the sake of saying, look at me, but for the sake of saying, look at Jesus and what he's done. Maybe you need to pray now and ask God to work in your life in such a way that you can respond in the right way to pursue the loss, to pursue the nations, again, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're an imperfect family. We've got a lot of people who, who stink. <laughs> but the reality is, we have a father that does not. He loves us so much and wants the nations to be drawn back to him for the sake of what we see all the way in Genesis 12. We will be disobedient sometimes, but we can rest in the one who was obedient for us and that leads to our salvation. Let me pray for us. God, you are such a good God. We don't deserve your mercy, but you give it to us willingly. We thank you for that. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters that we would fight to remember our identity is found in you, not in our, our preferences, not in our giftings, not even in where we've come from. God, it's found solely in you and everything that you've done for us. God, let's rest in that truth. Let us believe that truth in our lives. Father, I thank you for this church. I pray a special blessing over it right now that you would use it for the sake of your glory that over the next several years that these this room would be filled to the, the brim of people from all ethnicities, people who need to know who you are. God, that you would use these people in this room to that end. We love you. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.